Welcome to the Von Nelson Podcast. With me today is CEO and CIO Chris Wallace. Welcome, Chris. Thanks, Dan. Good to be here. Good, Chris. So, uh, Chris, let's kick off this week looking at initial uh, jobless claims. They remained again at elevated levels, about 1.4 million. Um, and, but then, you know, the all-important continuing claims, they broke uh, prior week's trend and uh, declining, and they actually went up about 5%, uh, up to 17 million. Um, and we've seen the pandemic unemployment assistance claims that those declined in the latest report. So, um, taking a look at these numbers, you know, are these are these trends consistent with your expectations, and do they reflect any shift in the nature of the economic recovery? Yeah, they they do kind of show a shift, and this is what our concern was: is that you know we were going to see and and maintain elevated levels of continuing claims. And I think what's really starting to be reflected is that the layoffs and the individuals that remain on continuing claims, it's because it's shifting from uh, pandemic assistance or temporary furloughs to actually permanent job losses. And the other reason why it would, this evidence kind of lends to that case is, you know, we've, are past the grace period for people that accepted uh, PPP loans so that, you know, now they can lay off employees and have those loans for, forgiven. And we're far enough along in the initial recovery that companies can reassess the level of activity and start right-sizing cost structure. So, yeah, I, I think this is consistent with our expectations that we were going to have a sharp recovery off the bottom, then it was going to level off, and then it was going to be a slow grind higher. Um, and it, you know, reflects the fact that the stimulus, which was quite extraordinary that was thrown at the situation, is starting to level off, and the impact of that stimulus is starting to wane, and we're seeing what is the real damage to the economy. And as we've stated, um, it's going to be a slog that, you know, this really hit the services side of the economy, which is very unusual in a recession. They're usually concentrated to the industrial side, and it's very difficult to kind of recoup service uh, jobs. And so, yeah, I, I think that's what the data is starting to reflect, um, and I think the market uh, is sniffing it out and is actually kind of, not surprised by the numbers because I think it's already been reflected in the marketplace. Right. And so, you know, as we're, we're seeing what you described here is this flattening economy and you know, this, the flattening economy in a sense, even as, as hours worked have leveled off, um, other real time recovery indicators have, have leveled off. So, you know, as you're, as you're mentioning, but a little, a little bit deeper, you know, can you talk about how these indicators are, are calling into question the sustainability of the recovery? Yeah, and, and I think this is a really important question because I know there's getting to be lots of press that, look, the, the recovery starting to stall, that, you know, the sharp uh, improvements or the rate of changes are coming down, and so, you know, are we really going to recover? I think you really need to separate it between the services side of the economy and the industrial side. And while the short-term and real-time indicators show some leveling off, there is still, without question, a growth cycle upturn on the industrial side, not just in the U.S., uh, and all the, although the data in Europe has been somewhat weak in certain areas, on the industrial side, the recovery is very much underway. So 
I have zero concern that we're still in a growth cycle upturn on the industrial side and that recovery will continue. On the services side, again, it's going to be um, a, a difficult recovery and it's going to be slow. And so every, everything is going kind of according to our plan, but it also means the nature of the stimulus here in the downturn has yet to be felt. And what I mean by that, typically we have a downturn, then you get the stimulus that provides support, but you've already incurred the damage to the economy and seen the losses and losses in credit and everything else. This was, it was completely reversed, where we sent the stimulus out before the damage occurred, and now where we sent out so much stimulus that we actually saw a, a very material increase in real disposable income in the first and second quarter, that's set to reverse. And so, you know, I, I think it's, there's going to be some real headwinds, and that's why I think some of the, quote, temporary layoffs that we've seen are going to become permanent in large parts of the economy, and a lot of it's going to be reflected in small business where they're just not going to be able to survive, unfortunately. And so, you know, the silver lining in all of this is that the U.S. gets a chance to kind of reshape its economy uh, and hopefully we can do it in a productive fashion that, that provides the job opportunities and, and positive real growth for the economy going forward. So one follow-up to that, you, I think most folks recognize that the struggles of the service industry and, and you know, of course, the, the, the kind of chain that, that laid that out. Uh, but why industrials? Why, why have we seen strong growth returning to industrials, and, and why are those, you know, leading out of the uh, of this recovery? Yeah, it, it's the nature of the manufactured good business model and production cycle. And what I mean by that is as manufacturers began to reduce production and cut costs, they drained inventories. And as those inventories went through the channel and there was sufficient demand to buy up those goods and services, they have to be replenished. And the only way you can replenish them is to hire people back and restart the manufacturing process. And, you know, what's very different from, uh, you know, a, a local service provider like, you know, take the, one of the more simple examples, a barber or a nail salon, you know, their closing and opening has little impact downstream and upstream, right? But that's not the case when you think about auto manufacturing. So, we, the auto manufacturers shut down for a period of time. We actually drained auto inventories because auto sales really didn't fall off as significantly as manufacturing did. We've then tightened up. There's actually a spike in used car prices, and now we're needing to restart the auto manufacturing. But when you restart an auto manufacturer, you don't just bring back the people that are putting the cars together. Think of the hundreds of and thousands of suppliers that supply components. They have to go back and rehire, and then everybody has to start buying goods, meaning steel and chemicals and wires and all of the subcomponents that go into that. Well, that has a really dramatic impact on supply chains, and it creates this bullwhip effect. And so, you know, it's very sharp on the negative on the way down, but it becomes very positive. And the nature of that can become self-reinforcing and it becomes just a virtual uh, improvement and recovery in the cycle. 
So, you know, the manufacturing, while people think of it being hypercyclical, it does have a natural way to restart itself. There's not a natural way to restart a nail salon and a barber shop and a restaurant. It just doesn't exist. So in that instance, you know, the proprietor, to the extent they didn't have sufficient capital, has to go out and source capital to restart. Now, does that mean go get an SBA loan or go to the bank and get a loan or, you know, raise money from family and friends? And they have to want to do that, right? And depending on where they are at their stage of life, they may not want to restart. They may try to seek out an alternative source of income. So it's just a very different process. Right. Now, that makes a ton of sense, kind of the reverberations that you see. Uh, ripple effect from from the industrial versus you know these more sole yep. proprietor businesses and that's you know, a very very interesting thing to think about. Yeah. And, and let me just add something to that because you know and, and this is what I think people need to to focus on right. There's games within the game and you know there's the game of investing that is long term but then there's short term games within the games which are very much trying to play earnings beats or you know better than expected or raising guys that stuff. There's another element of this industrial side. So, you know, you can think of it this way. You know, as as stocks have recovered and, you know, as we're looking at individual holdings, you know, we're, there's certain areas where we're fairly aggressive sellers, right? And one of those, although I'm sitting here talking about this great industrial recovery, you know, we're not very bullish on the aerospace cycle. And, you know, even with the challenges that Boeing has and the challenges we see, you know, in in air transportation in general, we were at the end of that cycle, right? That backlog had been purchased. Uh, the replenishment of of fleets was in was in place, and now we're dramatically cutting back, and somewhat permanently so, the amount of capacity we're going to have in air travel. Well, that's going to reverberate all the way down through the supply chain. So while we may be bullish on industrials, look. In the companies that may have had some exposure to aerospace recovery to the extent we own them, we're going to be more apt to sell those and then go look at areas where the industrial recovery is really starting a new cycle. So, it, you know, the details matter. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and you, you mentioned earnings, and I'd be remiss not to ask, you know, we're well underway uh, with the earnings season right now. Um, and, you know, there's been some strong price responses on company releases. And so my... You know, I guess the question here is, you know, are there takeaways from the market reaction, and then what key themes are you paying attention to throughout this earnings season? Yeah, I, I think the the takeaways and kind of the reaction you're seeing in the market are uh, the most dramatic reaction is where the market really had concern about a company's business model. So, you know, let's say you know they were significantly impacted. Uh, by COVID or there's a perception that some of the cyclical impacts are going to become secular. Um, and to the extent a company uh, faced some of those uncertainty questions, if they were able to, you know, I won't call beat you know, expectations because that's a bit of a gamesmanship, but the more important thing was that they could show that, hey, we got a handle on our cost structure. Um, our, our revenues have either stopped declining or we're starting to see some improvement. But more importantly, management was able to give guidance. We, they were able to give guidance for you know, 2020 or even into 2021. And that kind of restores the confidence that investors have that, hey, maybe this is more cyclical for those business models. 
And as such, we've seen a pretty strong positive response in those situations. Conversely, you know, if you've had businesses that should have done better and didn't, or the the deleveraging of the fixed cost base was much more dramatic than what was expected. You know, we've seen some some modest downside in those names. But what I would tell you is the price action is skewed more to the upside than the downside, meaning the people that that kind of soothe the market's concern or seeing a stronger reaction than those that actually disappoint the market. And I think that's a reflection of that we're still fairly early in this recovery. You know, the GDP, Q2 GDP numbers came out today, and they're down minus 32% on an annualized basis, which is just incredible. I mean, we're talking about depression-level rates of change. So as we transition from depression to a recessionary recovery, which is kind of where we are now, the more cyclical areas, the there's still real opportunities to the upside, as ultimately we will get we will get a recovery. So you described, you know, uh, moving from a depression to recession, and you know, perhaps this might have something to do with it, but or I guess as a fallout of it. But you know, we've seen that now the U.S. dollar has broken down to 24-month lows, and we've seen the gold has broken up to the outside to the upside. So um, at the same time, and so as broad market volatility has fallen, we've seen Nasdaq volatility remain fairly flat. Uh, to slightly increasing, you know, are you think do you see any fundamental reasons for these moves I just described, and um, do you think there's a signal a, sh- a signal and a shift in market leadership? Yeah, I I think um, there's a lot going on in the market right now, and I think you know when we talked in prior weeks about there's some vulnerabilities, and we're starting to see some fissures uh, within the market and some of the market leadership. I think let, let's break it into two pieces. Uh, the first piece is it's just a reflection of the holders. And what I mean by that are, are levered investors, hedge funds that have been long positive momentum stocks and short negative momentum stocks. And, you know, the positive momentum side of the equation skews towards the NASDAQ and the negative side kind of skews towards, you know, what we would consider value stocks, financials, commodities, cyclicals. That trade has worked so well coming off the bottom that as you get near kind of month-end periods, you know, the risk managers are going to go around to the various pods within the hedge fund and say, look, you know, we're taking on too much risk. This trade's worked too well. We're getting a little too long the positive momentum and a little too short the negative momentum. And what we're seeing, I think, around these quarter or these month-ends is a little bit of rebalancing. Cover your shorts, sell your longs. And so that's creating a lot of binary action in the market day to day. At the same time, um, I think the market is appropriately sniffing out that the U.S. economy has some serious problems. And without continued stimulus at trillion-dollar levels, um, you know, we're going to move into a deflationary environment. And so the U.S. dollar clearly is going to come under pressure. Uh, you can look at it on a purchase power parity, and it would indicate that it could be 20 to 25% overvalued. Structurally, rather than coming out and just devaluing it, you know, we're clearly on the path and intending to, to use the existing structure of the currency system to devalue the dollar. Uh, and I think they're going to do that by continuing to 
really you know eliminate the Fed's independence. It's going to support the Treasury, and the Treasury is going to run very large deficits as far as the eye can see. And the nuance of this is the market has to reconcile this what I call hyper-reflationary short-term policy that will, in fact, drive the dollar lower and boost commodities. Um, and that that does create a shift in leadership, right? That does mean areas that have lagged are going to do better. And so that's also a reason we're trying we're starting to see a little more volatility in the tech space and a little more strength out of the value components. But keep in mind, while gold is the near-term beneficiary, gold is going to continue to be move higher until we get into sustainable inflationary conditions. A lot of people think of gold as an inflation hedge, and it's, it's really not. In this situation, once inflation is able to, to kick in in a positive manner and we can sustain 2% plus inflation, I actually would expect gold to start selling off because that's an indicator that we've done sufficient stimulus, sufficient fiscal and monetary stimulus that we're getting generalized inflation, and that will begin to correct the excess debt, excess entitlement obligations, allow the sovereign to start to to, uh, deleverage on a real basis, if not on a nominal basis. And so those are kind of some key things to look for. Over the short term, uh, you know, deflation's going to deflationary pressures are going to certainly continue to uh, have the have the stronger hand. Um, and I think a big part of this, and I suspect you know this is also being driven by uh, what we're seeing in the current quarter's earnings, is a lot of companies that reduce costs materially are now coming back and, and not surprisingly saying, look, these are permanent cost reductions. Right. We talked about temporary layoffs, but maybe that was under the assumption that revenues are going to come back very quickly, and that's just not the case. So I think companies are using this as an opportunity to dramatically right-size cost structure, which then means there's going to have to be even more fiscal support uh, financed by Fed QE, which, again, puts downward pressure on the dollar, upward pressure on gold on the short term. I think certainly... Uh, it's been a great trade, and just as we talked about the positive momentum, negative momentum shorts being a little long in the tooth, um, it will probably see a pullback in this trade, but I don't think the trend's going to shift anytime soon. One, one follow-up question to the dollar. Um, you know, as, as you expect it to continue to fall, you know, are there any sectors or are there any geographies that you would look for um, to, to position yourself toward or, or any anywhere those sectors or geographies that will really benefit from a continued weakened dollar? Yeah, I, you know, almost anything non-U.S., <laughs> clearly. Um, there are certain emerging markets that could, could benefit more than what I would consider, you know, developed international markets, whether that's South America or other areas, uh, Asia, China. Uh, have certainly performed very well, and we can even see it in uh, when markets correct. Right, they don't, they're not correcting as much as what the U.S. market is, um, but it's going to be more nuanced, right? Because I think what's going to be unique is while we're playing this this weakening dollar, it's going it, to we're going to slowly shift, and it may just be on a cyclical basis from a weak dollar in a disinflationary environment to a weak dollar in what I'm going to call a stagflationary environment, 
Um, and so that may benefit different business models. I mean, you know, the, the market is dramatically underweight energy. Um, and, you know, I'm not here to tell you that U.S. oil production is going to increase anytime soon because I don't think it is. And that is the problem because we've cut CapEx so much that it wouldn't surprise me to look out 12 to 18 months and the, and, and the globe be net short oil, which means we're going to see much higher Brent crude oil prices. And so just when everybody's kind of piling into their favorite software company or, or uh, renewable energy company, we may see a decent little move in, in Brent crude prices. So let's say we go from, you know, 45 back up to 55 and 60. That's going to have a pretty big impact on winners and losers in the market. So you need to be tactical and you need to be ready for that. And it's time to start making those incremental moves that way. Um, and I, I think you're going to you're going to see some contrarians start to win out over the next four quarters. Good. Well, I think that's a great way to, to wrap things up here. So thank you very much, as always, for the insight. And uh, we look forward to having you back on here in, in, in uh, no time at all. Thanks, Chris. Thank you, Dan. You got it. Bye. The views, information, and or opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Von Nelson and its employees. Von Nelson does not verify and assumes no responsibility for the accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast. The primary purpose of the information, opinions, and thoughts presented in this podcast is to educate and inform. This podcast, or any podcast in the series, does not constitute professional investment advice or services, and any reliance on the information provided is done at your own risk. Past performance is not an indication of future performance. By accessing this podcast, you acknowledge that the entire contents of this podcast are the property of Von Nelson or used by Von Nelson with permission and are protected under U.S. copyright and trademark laws.